Uh, if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. It's page 59 in the Bibles that are in the pews. And um, we're going to pick up from where we left off last week. But could I also get you to uh, turn to Acts chapter 7, which is page 1099. And if it's all possible, if you can kind of keep both of those open, and I'll explain why in a moment. Now, previously on, or in, I've always wanted to say that, but previously, or last week on Man on the Edge, we heard about the arrival and the survival of Moses, despite Pharaoh's determined attempts to ensure that every newborn Israelite boy would be drowned by a midwife or would be thrown into the Nile by anybody. But as the result of two unsung heroes, Shifra and Puya, two Hebrew midwives who feared God and courageously did the right thing, plus as the result of the amazing faith of Moses' parents who hid him for three months and then strategically placed him in a watertight basket amongst reeds, plus as a result of the watchful attention of his big sister Miriam, plus as a result of the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses somehow miraculously made it through alive. Below all those people were involved, ultimately, God was at the heart and at the center of all these events and these moments in history, right there working out his purposes according to his time scale. And so in a classic twist of irony, Moses ends up being raised in the home and in the household of the person who tried to kill him, which is brilliant. But for the next almost 40 years, we frustratingly know next to nothing about Moses. Next to nothing about him for 40 years. Apart from this vital piece of information, look at Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Now, this is part of Stephen's passionate speech where he's trying to summarize the history of God's people before a bunch of religious leaders, before he becomes the first Christian martyr who gets stoned to death. And he says this about Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So here's what we do know. He was well educated. He was articulate. He was eloquent. He was impressive. But that's it. And so we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, where Moses is 40. Now, we often say life begins at 40, which is a nonsense. (laughs) But for Moses, it virtually ended at 40. Or at least, it was about to change dramatically and take a nosedive. Verse 11, have a look at it. One day, now in Exodus 2 it just says after Moses grew up, but if you go to Acts chapter 7 it says he was 40. Now, he went out to where his own people were. So, stick with me in this. Despite the fact that he was saturated in an alternative culture, Moses did not lose touch with his roots. He knew who he was. 
He knew where he belonged. You see, you can take the boy out of Israel, but you can't take Israel out of the boy, so to speak. And as he's walking around, he witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Again, described in verse 11, have a look at it, as one of his own people. Twice in one verse, that phrase appears. Now, this cannot, at least I don't believe it, this cannot have been the first time Moses saw this. Cannot be. Turned out to be the last. And so glancing this way and that, it says, Moses kills the Egyptian and buries him in the sand. It seems as if the red mist descended. Moses lost it and committed manslaughter. It wasn't exactly cold-blooded murder. Didn't set out to kill anybody. Although Stephen's take on what happened is not just as clinical. Have a look at Acts chapter 7 verse 24. Because here's, here's how Stephen interprets it. Moses saw one of them, that is one of his own people, being ill-treated by an Egyptian. Now hear this. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now, that almost sounds to me like an attempt to justify Moses' actions. That it was more of a case of rough justice, even an expression of righteous anger. So maybe this is slightly more complicated than we tend to think. One of the reasons I love the Bible is that it constantly challenges your understanding. How would you describe what Moses did? Based on Exodus 2, verse 12, he simply killed him. Based on what Stephen says, he came to the guy's defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now, I'm not suggesting what Moses did was right. I'm just saying you've got to tread carefully as you try to get your head around this. You see, the sense of injustice that Moses witnessed must have been hard to take for him. As he glanced around, and one of the reasons it's thought he glanced around is he was trying to see, is there somebody going to stand up for this guy? Is somebody going to intervene? Is somebody going to stop the abuse? Turns out there wasn't. Nobody is prepared to stand up. And so Moses decides to take things into his own hands. But he takes it too far, which is always a risk, and he does end up killing the Egyptian, which was illegal, and therefore it was wrong. And whenever Moses realizes what he's done, didn't mean to do it. Whenever he realizes what he's done, he then buries the body in the sand, which is human nature, isn't it? You do something wrong and then you try to cover it up. You try to hide. You try to bury the stuff right from the beginning of time. It's been our tendency. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They tried to hide from God. They tried to hide their nakedness the moment they messed up. The problem is it never works. It never has. It never will. Adam and Eve couldn't conceal or keep anything from the Almighty. And neither can we. And we might think that we or others are getting away with it. 
but God knows. And God sees and God convicts and ultimately God will judge. You see, you can run, but you cannot hide. And the question is, what are we burying? What are we burying this morning? What are we trying to keep hidden? What are we hoping nobody knows or finds out about us? Moses hides the body. He thinks he's got away with it. In fact, it's more than that. Back to Acts chapter 7, this time verse 25. Look at it, it's on the screen. Moses thought, and this is fascinating. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. Talk about a Messiah complex. You see, and I'm not sure we, we always get this. But Moses clearly believed that he was the people's savior and deliverer years before he was commissioned at a bush. Years before. He thought that his people would realize that he was the one to rescue them. This is years before the burning bush. And I'm not saying that the thought or the idea hadn't been planted in his mind by God earlier in his life. The issue here is Moses decides to initiate the delivering and rescuing his way, in his time, on his terms. And it all backfired. It all went horribly wrong. And you see, maybe this was where Moses really messed up. This is maybe where Moses really messed up. You see, whenever we take things into our own hands, whenever we decide to do it our way, whenever we forget to consult God, seek God, look to God, and it's interesting that Moses glanced this way and that, but he never looked up. Whenever we dictate the timetable, we're taking a massive risk and gamble. As Charles Swindle writes, neglecting to ask God's counsel, neglecting to see God's timing, you step in to handle things, and by and by you've got a mess in your hands, you're stuck with a corpse with a shovel in your hands and a shallow grave at your feet. Living without reference to God, living without humility before God and independence upon God's a fool's game. And yet how often do we do it? How often do I do it? We don't learn to wait and pray and consult and discuss and look for God's guidance and timing. And some of us here this morning, and I know this, some of us find ourselves in interesting places. And we're facing difficult decisions and we're about to make major choices. Can I say, make sure you seek God's counsel before you do something you regret? So many people... I meet who are living with regret. Who decided to do things their way. And it backfired. And Moses rushed in here. Thinking that his people would recognize that he's their savior. And that they'd welcome him with open arms. And yet look how this verse ends. Moses thought his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue him. But they did not wasn't time yet he wasn't ready yet they weren't ready yet as we're about to discover 
So next day, seems that it's 24 hours later, Moses heads out again and he returns to the crime of the, or the scene of the crime. Or at least he must have returned to very near it, which seems irrational. And this time he witnesses a fight. Only it's two Hebrews, Hebrew slaves who are getting stuck into each other. And for some reason, and I, and I don't know why, but for some reason one of them's to blame. And the Bible doesn't tell us which one's to blame or why he's to blame. But it does say that someone was in the wrong. And Moses challenges the person that's in the wrong. But the response that Moses receives can't have been what he expected. And it must have gripped him with fear. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? You see, it turns out you really can't bury your mistakes. You can't hide indefinitely. Your sin will find you out. Somehow, and more than likely, the Hebrew he rescued the day before went and sold the story to the local press, but somehow... Word gets out. And as Moses says at the end of 14, what I did has been made known. And so our past actions have a nasty habit of catching up with us. As one of the main news stories from this week has dramatically and tragically revealed. In fact, more than one of the main news stories from this week has revealed this. Your past will catch up with you. And what happens when you're found out? What do you do if you're still able to? You own it. You deny it. You make excuses. You become afraid. For Moses, fear sets in. And as news travels a bit further, eventually Pharaoh hears about what Moses has done and he tries to kill him again. Forty years later, it's come a full circle. There's another death warrant hanging over his head. And so Moses has no option, or did he? But he runs. And he doesn't stop running until he arrives in the desert region of Midian and he collapses beside a well. It's all here. And now what? Well, for one thing, it's time to reflect. It's time to take stock. It turns out that actions really do have consequences. It turns out that you can be really well-educated, bright, well-brought-up, articulate, powerful, and yet you can make some pretty major mistakes. It turns out you can be very impressive and yet very vulnerable. And the reality is, we all are. Every single one of us sitting here this morning is vulnerable. And I know a number of extremely capable and very gifted people you're accompanied by vulnerability. And you may be here this morning, you've benefited from great teaching and instruction for many years. And you've lived 40 plus years. You're experienced. 
And you've done and you've achieved great things in your community and in your work and in your church life. And you appear on the surface to be doing well, doing okay, and yet, as a result of poor choices and unwise decisions and ungodly actions and thoughts and attitudes and behavior, you now find yourself somewhere you never thought you'd be. Like Moses, you're in a desert, not, not a literal desert, but you're in a kind of spiritual wilderness and you're wondering what happened. What happened? Why has it happened? How have I got here? Is anything ever going to be the same again? You know, good people mess up. Good people. And they lose their way. And as God's word says, you know, see if you're strong, be careful not to fall. So, so we're all vulnerable. And Moses certainly was. And he collapses in a barren place. And life as he knew it has imploded. And any ideas of being as people's champion have evaporated. And failure is just written all over this story at this point in time. Failure is written all over it. And he's reached or he's reaching the end of himself. And now we come to and we confront one of the most exciting aspects of the Christian faith. And I want to say this next, but as loudly as I can. Failure isn't final. It's painful. It's difficult to take. It's humbling. It's a wake-up call. It's life-changing. There will be consequences. When you mess up, there are consequences. This idea that there aren't consequences to your actions is a nonsense. But it isn't final. It doesn't have to be. We worship and serve a God of the second chance, third chance, fourth chance, fifth chance. And here at this point in the story, and I don't believe this is an incidental detail, Moses sits down by a well. You see, refreshment and renewal are within arm's length. I know sometimes preachers grab hold of details and take them to a place that were never intended to be taken. But it's at this place of arid desperation that God starts to intervene and orchestrate Moses' life in unexpected and life-renewing ways. But this morning, before we kind of move on with this story, I want to pause for a moment. And I want to stop. And I kind of want to go off script. And I want to say to anyone who's here this morning who feels they have messed up, some point in their lives currently and they have got it wrong and they have failed who feels that compared to so many others they're in a spiritually dry place a desolate place I want to say that I honestly believe and I have got to believe this that God's refreshment and renewal are within arm's reach God invites those who are thirsty to seek him while he may be found. To call on him while he is near. You see, the critical issue for each and every one of us is this. How do you respond to failure? How? And failure takes many forms. How do you respond to failure? You deny it, you excuse it, you rationalize it, you reinterpret it. Or as I say, you own up to it, you accept it. 
You accept that you need help. You accept that you need God's renewing and refreshing, thirst-quenching forgiveness. And whenever you get to that place, you confess. You admit that you have got it wrong. You're getting it wrong. And it's at that place that you discover that God is faithful and God is just and God forgives us from our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Failure isn't final. Even in light of the consequences and the changes that will be inevitable. We're all vulnerable. But with God there is hope. There is prospect of a new day. Back to the story. Because almost immediately... This is why this is why this story excites me so much. But almost immediately, in that place of refreshment and renewal, God presents Moses with another opportunity to get back on the horse, so to speak. Moses is about to get another chance at being a deliverer. You see, we do worship the God of the second chance. And so there's a priest in the area. And later on we discover that his name's Jethro, and he's got seven daughters. And they all arrive at this well to draw water for their father's sheep. Bunch of shepherds show up, start pushing their weight around, start pushing the girls around. And they actually end up chasing the girls away from the well. And then we read this second half of verse 17. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. Now his track record of dealing with injustice in the heat of the moment wasn't good. But here, this time around, he doesn't weigh in as judge, jury, and executioner. It's more of a measured response. He still stands up for the oppressed. And the seven girls arrive home early, which confuses their dad. And so they tell him that an Egyptian rescued them from the shepherds. It almost seems like this intimidation or this bullying was a regular occurrence. But not only did he rescue them, but the Egyptian also drew water and watered the flock. Now in these two verses here, and I don't want us to miss this, but in these two verses here there are two significant and important words translated as rescue and rescued. And the first means he saved. And the second means he delivered. Moses, the Savior and Deliverer. God of the second chance. You see, God hasn't finished with Moses. God hasn't written him off. There's more than a glimmer of hope here. There's more than a shred of evidence that failure isn't final. In fact, there's a tangible, immediate reminder from God that he can still use people who mess up. And I love that. God still got plans for those who make mistakes. And some of us and some of our friends need to know that. I have friends who need to know this. Lots of other people have given up on them. God hasn't given up on them. Although for Moses, there's going to be a 40-year wait until he discovers what those plans are. Forty more years of obscurity. Nearly done. Back to Jethro's house. End of chapter two. Girl's dad has another couple of questions. So where is this Egyptian? More importantly, why did you leave him? 
I want you to head back to the well and invite him home for tea. Now Moses accepts the invitation, which given his circumstances and the fact that seven girls are inviting him back to his place for a meal, is no great surprise. And guess what? Moses marries one of them. And they have a son. And Moses declares, and this is one of the last recorded things that he says in four, for 40 years, I've become an alien in a foreign land. Some of you are smiling at me because that's how you feel. And that becomes his story. And he's no longer at home in Egypt. He's no longer at home with his people. He's no longer the prince of Egypt who's in line to marry a Cleopatra-type bride. He's no longer his people's eminent champion. He's a sojourner in a foreign land who's been forced to slow down and settle down and live in relative obscurity for 40 years. His rule... His part in the big story for now, learn how to be a shepherd. Learn how to be a husband. Learn how to be a dad. And guess what? Just leave the future in God's hands. You see, for some of us, that's, that's the challenge we face. To be faithful to God right where we are now. Just in your workplace, in your home, with your family, amongst your friends. Just be faithful to God where you're at. Leave the future in God's hands. Let me say something else about this period away from the limelight and the attention. Sometimes whenever those in significant positions of influence fail and fall, when they mess up, when they get it wrong, I actually think it's a good thing, it's a wise thing to take time out or time away from their previous profile. And even though failure isn't final, and even though I believe God can instantly forgive and refresh, it often makes sense to step back and to step down while some other people come to terms with your failure. For Moses, he needed to step away for 40 years. The chapter ends back in Egypt. And the king there dies. Says this at the end. And the slavery and the oppression of the Israelites continue. And then we read that they cry out to God. They don't blame God. Could have done, but they don't. They don't criticize God. They realize that God's their only hope. And therefore they cry out to him. And it says God hears. And God remembers. And God sees. And God is concerned. You see, God is not oblivious. God is not indifferent to our suffering. He is, as we discovered last Sunday night, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. God hasn't forgotten his people. God never forgets his people. He's not isolated from their distress. God is our refuge and strength. He is our ever-present help in times of trouble. And this little postscript at the end of chapter 2 reveals, listen, God's about to act. God is about to act in his time to deliver his people in his way and through how he chooses. Why this way? Why via these people? Why, God, is it on this time scale? Well, that's never easy for us to understand or rationalize or explain or even accept. And either you look to God where you're at 
and you cry out to God or else you look elsewhere for help and hope. That's your choice. God is working out his purposes. God will always work out his purposes. And at this point in the story, the stage is set for a new chapter literally. But what God does next, what he says, who he says it to, and what it means is unexpected, it's unpredictable, but it's incredibly exciting and life-altering. But that is for the next episode of Man on the Edge.